the, the day of the, that mass shooting in Uvalde, Texas at Robb Elementary School, I hadn't watched television all day and I happened to be in, in my office out at, at the Fisher's campus and it was in the evening so I turned on the television and that, you know, was all over it. Talking about the 19 children that had gotten killed and the two teachers that died and then the young man shot his grandmother before he went over to the school and it was, and my heart just went out for that community and that, those parents and grandparents and brothers and sisters in that community and, and our nation. And I was still trying to deal with the Buffalo shooting where the young white male drove all those miles to shoot and kill 10 black people with the intent of leaving there to go somewhere else and do the same thing. And all of that was going on in my head and I was in my office and I, I admit I was not just praying, I was praying and crying and I was crying and praying. And then I had to come out of my office because the, the children's choir out there was in rehearsal and they were in the choir room. So I, they wanted me to come in and speak to the children. So they wanted to sing happy birthday to me and spend some time with the pastor. They had pizza in there and all that kind of stuff. And I just finished crying and praying over a group of children. Now I'm around some other children. And I asked the, the, the children, what, did, what song did y'all rehearse today? What did y'all practice? So they got lined up. And they sang it again. And the song they sang was, God will make it all right. And they kept saying that, God will make it all right. And that stayed in my spirit the rest of the evening. Actually, it stayed in my spirit the rest of the week. And I believe that that's what God wants me to encourage you with today. That no matter what you're facing, no matter what you're going through, no matter what's happening in our world, that God will make it all right. In Psalm 121, and I'm going to read it from the New International Version, Psalm 121. That first verse says, I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Hallelujah. I know that most of the Psalms were written by King David, but many scholars and theologians believe that it was King Hezekiah that wrote this psalm. And he wrote it, he's the king of Israel, and he wrote it during a time of unrest for Israel because the Assyrians had waged war against Israel. And, and the Assyrians at the time was like a, a super world power. They were going from one nation to another, bringing destruction and annihilation, and now it's Israel's turn. So when King Hezekiah and Israel heard that the Assyrian army was coming into Israel, people in Israel from small communities and towns made their way to Jerusalem because there's a wall around Jerusalem. So that, that wall is for fortitude, the wall is for protection. So they made their way into the city walls. And here comes King Zennacherib's army and they surround Jerusalem. They besiege them. And they already, Israel already knows that this, these, this nation brings total destruction when they come into a place. And so the citizens of Israel were looking to King Hezekiah, who's the head of state of that nation. What are you going to do? How are you going to handle this? How are you going to respond to this? And here's what 
Hezekiah told him he was going to do. I will lift up my head, lift up my eyes to the hills from whence cometh my help. And then he asked the question, where does my help come from? He answered his own question, from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He's letting them know that even though I'm surrounded, no matter what direction he would look, there was opposition. No matter what direction he would look, there were enemies. He was surrounded with trouble on every side. But though I'm surrounded, I will not surrender. Though I got trouble on every side, I will not quit. Because Hezekiah understood that if I quit, it doesn't just impact me. It impacts the citizens of our nation. It impacts communities. It impacts my family. It, it impacts the people who are fighting with me and fighting for me. So though I am surrounded by trouble on every side, I will not surrender. And that's my word to somebody today. I know you're not a head of state, but you're a head of something. You're the head of your family. And when you quit, when you give up, I mean, you're a matriarch, a patriarch, you're a mother, a father. Even your family and friends, they look to you for advice and counsel and direction. You're the Christian. You're the one talking about, I will trust in the Lord. You, you, you're the one reading the Word, so they come to you for advice and counsel. And now every direction you look, there's trouble. Whether it's white supremacy or whether it's racism or these mass shootings or sickness, disease, or poverty. Everywhere you look, everywhere you turn, you're surrounded by trouble. But my word to you is, even though you're surrounded, don't surrender. And when other folk are looking up to you, Hezekiah taught us, we got to be looking up to God. I will lift up my eyes to the hills from whence cometh my help. And my help doesn't come from the hills. My help doesn't come from the mountain. My help comes from the Lord. So while other folk look up to you, you make sure you look up to God. In my childhood church, they used to talk about whatever trouble you face and whatever's going through in your life, that even though it may be over your head, it's still under God's feet. And Hezekiah realized that, that the mountains are great, but there's someone beyond the mountains. My help comes from the Lord. I'm looking to the hill. There were great mountains, and still are, in Israel. And these great mountains had great victories on them, like Mount Ararat, where Noah, after on that ark, that, that it rained and stormed for 40 days and 40 nights, and then 150 days of flooding, and then a year of isolation and social distancing. But when it was all over, that ark landed and, and set on Mount Ararat. That's a great mountain with a great victory. Or mountains like Mount Moriah, when... Abraham was going to sacrifice his son, but heard an angel say, there's a ram in the bush. There was a great victory on a great mountain. Or mountains like Mount Carmel, where Elijah got the fire to fall and got victory over 450 prophets of Baal. Or mountains like, like Mount Horeb, where Elijah discovered, discovered that God not only moves in, in fire and in whirlwinds, but God will speak to you in a still, small voice. Or mountains like Mount Sinai, where God, with his own finger, wrote the Ten Commandments and put them on those tablets and gave them unto Moses so that they would have uh, standards for that faith community that they have. Or mountains like Calvary, where Jesus died 
to pay the penalty for your sins and for mine. Those were great mountains with great victories. But Hezekiah said the victories didn't come from the mountains. There's someone beyond the mountains that brought the victory. It was God that placed that that ark on Mount Ararat. It was God that sent that ram in the bush on Mount Moriah. It was God that sent that fire on Mount Carmel. It was God that gave those tablets on Mount Sinai. It was God that spoke in that still small voice on Mount Horeb. It was God that so loved the world. He gave his only begotten son on Mount Calvary. I will lift up my eyes to the mountains, but I see something beyond the mountains. And I know God is going to make it all right because it's the same God that made heaven and earth. Y'all, if you realize how God made heaven and earth, then you would understand no matter what situation you're in, no matter what predicament, no matter what you're going through, no matter all this trouble on every side, whatever's happening in your life, if you realize how the Lord made heaven and earth, then you'll know that God can make it all right. Well, preacher, tell me, how did God make heaven and earth? Well, let me do it like this, because I love James Weldon Johnson and his poem, that creation poem. And I certainly love the old black preacher with their sanctified imaginations and ingenuity and creativity and how they explain to us how God did creation with that sanctified imagination. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the old black preacher would talk about how uh, there was nothing that was there. And then God stepped out on nothing. And then God reached back into nothing. And then God brought something out of nothing and then told it to stay there. I love that. <laughs> That's creative. That's with ingenuity. That's sanctified imagination. That's poetry. But it ain't Bible. That's not how God created it. God didn't step out on nothing and reach back into nothing and pull something out of nothing and then told it to stay there. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness covered the face of the deep, and water was all over the earth. The Spirit of God moved. God spoke and said, let there be, and it was. God brought order out of chaos. It was chaotic. It was confusion. And then God's Spirit moved. <laughs> And then God spoke, and here comes order out of chaos. I don't care what chaos you're dealing with. I don't care what confusion in your home, community, church, whatever you're up against in our nation. Just know we serve a God that when you're open to the move of his Holy Spirit and you're open to that spoken word coming into your life, he can bring order out of chaos. I will lift up my eyes to the mountains from whence cometh my help. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Verse 3 says, he will, King James Version, he will not suffer your foot to be moved, NIV. He will not let your foot slip. God is watching over you even when you lose your spiritual balance. God is watching over you even when you lose your spiritual equilibrium. God is watching over you even when you slip. The tendency is when we are surrounded by trouble on every side, the tendency is for us not to wait on the move of the Spirit and for the spoken Word of God, but to take matters into our own hands because 
we, we have the tendency of putting God on clocks and calendars. So I'm going to trust God. I'm going to believe God. But if God doesn't move by July, I don't know why y'all ain't helping me with this. <laughs> then I'm going to have to take matters into my own hand. And when you do that, you end up losing your spiritual equilibrium and your spiritual balance, and you end up slipping. Here is what, here's what Hezekiah says, that God will not suffer your foot to be moved, that God will not let you slip. Here, John Phillips says that this not here is, um, it is a qualified negative, that God will not let you slip. It is a qualified negative. This is, John Phillips says, it is wishful thinking by the writer. It's, it's a wishful desire. It is not objective from God to the writer. It is subjective inside the writer. Here's what I wish for you. Here is my wishful desire for you. I wish that God would not let your foot slip. But y'all, you and I know you're going to slip and I'm going to slip. We've already slipped. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the Apostle John says, if you say you haven't slipped, you make God a liar. No, God is truthful. Let every man and woman be a liar. We all have the tendency to slip because we keep trying to take matters in our own hand. But I'm telling you, even when you slip, God is watching over. Okay, y'all looking at me all holy like y'all don't slip. Asaph, Asaph wrote Psalm 73. He's one of the sons of Korah. And of course, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. And Asaph wrote Psalm 73 by the Spirit of God. And Asaph said in Psalm 73, he said, God has been good to Israel, even to those who are of a pure heart. But as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well not slipped. Asaph, what was going on with that? Because he said, I was looking at the prosperity of the wicked, and then I was looking at all the problems of the people of God, and I lost my spiritual equilibrium. I lost my spiritual balance. My steps had well not slipped until I went into the sanctuary of God. Until I went to church, and when he went to church, that's when he got a revelation to know God is going to make everything all right. And I don't want you jumping off a bridge because you made mistakes, that you've sinned, that you slipped. I want you to know that God still loves you, and God still cares, and God is still watching over you, and God is still taking care of you even when you slip. But now the more you grow in Christ, the less you ought to be slipping. Preach, Pastor Johnson. I said the more you're growing in Christ, the less you ought to be slipping. But don't, don't let people, don't let the enemy make you think God has given up on you. This was in Daniel Boone, uh, the National Forest in Kentucky. Daniel Boone National Forest. This, this four-year-old was hiking with his mother and father. And as they went hiking in this beautiful, <laughs> Daniel Boone is a beautiful place. And the little boy slipped and fell over the edge. And when he slipped and fell, he fell 70 feet. Say, so first he fell 20, then 30, then 20 more. He fell 70 feet. And the reporter said that when the boy fell, that the father jumped into action. The father jumped right over, went right after his son when he fell over, all the way down 70 feet and got to that boy and secured him and then got him to the first responders. When he got him to the first responders, they said it was a miracle that the boy survived. 
He only had minor cuts and bruises after falling 70 feet. That's a miracle. But, but here's what I'm trying to get across to you. When that four-year-old boy fell and slipped and went over the edge, his father didn't say, I told him to stay close to me. I told him not to go over there. You getting what you deserve. Now you, you never should have been there in the first place. That's not what he did. He jumped into action and went down and got that boy and secured him and got him somewhere safe. Y'all, if we being evil know how to go after our children, how much more shall our heavenly father, when we slip, he comes after us? That's what salvation is all about. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You know what our heavenly father did? He wrapped himself up in humanity and then was born of a virgin and came down to where we are and died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins because he watches over us even when we slip. And he watches over us even when we sleep. <laughs> it, it says, he will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. While you sleep and God is still watching, you can rest in the fact that God is watching over you even when you sleep. Uh, I was, when I was reading this, I was trying to figure out why did Hezekiah put uh, slip and sleep in the same verse? Why is slipping and sleeping so close together in this path? Maybe it's because he understands that a lot of times when you and I slip, then we got to hear a lot of criticism. Some people know how to kick you when you're down, man. They just, so here you trying to do God's will. You're trying to bless your family and community and church, and you're trying to deal with injustice and speaking truth to power and all that, and you end up slipping. And instead of somebody encouraging you, they start criticizing you because you slip. Here's what I have discovered, that the only people who don't slip are the ones who are always sleep. Because the moment you wake up to what God is seeking to do through you to help other folk who are marginalized and in poverty and sickness and disease and going through, the moment you wake up to that, every now and then, you're going to slip. Well, wait, wait. Maybe he put slip and sleep so close together is because the lack of sleep may be why we slip so much. I mean, as long as we've been with Jesus and we should be growing and filled with the Spirit and we ought to be slipping not as much as we're slipping, maybe it's because we're not getting enough sleep. God never sleeps. God never slumbers. That's because he's watching us while we're sleeping, but we won't get enough sleep because the world is so messed up. We got to hit this every day. I got to take care of my family. I'm not going to ignore my community. I'm going to serve God in my church. I'm, I'm going to fight. I'm going to fight against this injustice. I'm not just going to see racism and not say or do something about that. I got to hit this every day. No, you don't have to hit it every day. You got to learn how to get some sleep. That's why some of y'all exhausted right now. That's why some of y'all so tired right now. That's why you burn out right now. And now you're trying to make major decisions in your life, but you're so exhausted. You're so tired. You're burnt out. And now you're trying to make major decisions. No, you need to sleep. 
I know this don't make you shout, but it'll help you <laughs> deal with life a whole lot better. Because uh, sleep is significant and important, y'all. Because I don't care what other surgeries the doctor has, you need to take a nap before you do my surgery. I need you at your best. The FAA won't even let pilots fly until they've had enough sleep. Because all of us are at our best when we sleep. But we think, I got to hit it every day. I got to, no. That, that's why all through Scripture, it talks about the importance of sleep and rest. Genesis chapter 1 and 2, God worked six days. He rested the seventh day. And then God created us after his own image. Well, if we create after God's own image, we at least ought to take one day a week and get some rest. Uh, the Ten Commandments, the, the fourth commandment of the Ten Commandments is to honor the Sabbath day. It's to remember the Sabbath day. It's to keep it holy because of the importance of rest. Psalm 127 says, God gives his beloved sleep. Jesus said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Uh, now, King David did write Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green paths. Here's what I've learned, and take it from somebody, it took me a long time to learn how to honor the Sabbath day. It took me a long time to learn how to work six days and rest one, but I finally learned it. Here's how, here's how I learned it, because I understand that if I do not lie down on my own, God will make me lie down. That Jeffrey Johnson, I love you too much to just let you keep going and going and going. He makes you lie down in green pastures. You got to go sleep. <laughs> you got to get some rest. It's about trust. It's about confidence and faith that while you're sleeping, God is still working. While you're sleeping, God is still watching over you. Matter of fact, this word, this word that is that, that in the New uh, International Version in verse 3 where it says, he watches over you, he will not sleep. He watches. The Hebrew word there, the Hebrew word is shamar. Shamar, he watches over you. And five times it's, it's mentioned in this text. In verse 3, he watches over you. In verse 4, he who watches over Israel. In verse 5, the Lord watches over you. In verse 7, uh, he will watch over your life. And then in verse 8, the Lord will watch over your coming and going. That's the New International Version. In the King James Version, it's the same Hebrew word, shamar. But it's translated keep or preserve. He that keepeth Israel, he will preserve your life. So it's, it's keep or preserve. In some translations, it's translated guard or protect. Same word in the Hebrew, shamar. But when it comes to our English translation Bibles, the interpreters are trying to make sure that we understand what it is God is doing. Well, what is God doing while we sleep? He's watching. He's keeping. He's preserving. He's protecting. He's guarding. And if God is doing all of that, why are you up all night pacing the floor? Why are you tossing and turning in that big old king-size bed you got? You got a big king-size bed with a gold headboard and a gold footboard, and there you are tossing and turning all night. Y'all, listen, either you or God need to go to sleep. He can't sleep, so you might as well go to sleep, but go to sleep knowing he's watching, he's protecting, he's guarding, he's preserving. Do I have a witness in this place? He's watching over you. And God is watching you, not just when you're sleeping, 
But y'all, the, the text helps us understand in verse 5. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. Uh, the sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. He's watching over you, protecting you, guarding you day and night. There's not a minute in your life, there's not a second in your life that God is not watching over you. God, every moment, whether you think it's good or bad, day or night, God is protecting you and preserving you. Maybe I'm just preaching to myself, but I'm so glad whether it's in the morning or in the night when it's the sun shining or it's the moon glowing that God has got my back. He's, he's, he's your shade upon your right hand. Shade? What are you shading me from? From the sun. Wait a minute. Didn't God bless us with the sun? Isn't that where we get energy from? The sun? Isn't that where we get power from? The sun? That's, God blessed us with the sun. Now he's shading us from the sun because God is helping you and I to know that you can get burned with a blessing. That the very thing that's supposed to bless you can end up burning you. Okay, when you got that house, you shouted, didn't you? Because that was a blessing until they start talking about foreclosure. Because you can get burned with a blessing. Got that car, you were all excited. I don't blame you. Now you got transportation, get back and forth to work, do your thing, until they start talking about repossessing it. Because you can get burned with a blessing. You had a friend till you found out, because that's a blessing to be a friend, right? You got friends in your life till you found out the same one that was smiling in your face was the one stabbing you in your back. Because you can get burned by a blessing. Uh, that job that you were working and you thought, this is it, I'm retiring from here. And then they laid you off. You got burned with a blessing. Or you stood at the altar and you're getting married and you're so happy, I'm getting married. And then you listened to them and they said, I do. And then you found out, no, they didn't. No, they don't. Because you can get burned with a blessing. But God is saying, I'm going to be your shade on your right hand. I'm going to shade you from the very thing that would be burning you. Okay. Uh, Y'all looking at me like you don't believe me because you're thinking about how many times I've been burned. And if God is my shade upon my right hand, I mean, this, this is Hezekiah using this as an illustration. And when you're, when you're reading Scripture and interpreting Scripture, you can't look at it through the lenses of the 21st century. You got to look at it from the eyes of the one who's writing it. He's writing at a time there was no central air. You know, we, you know, we just walk in the room, turn, so no matter how hot it gets, we, we cool, right? Because we got central air. I ain't had no central air. So if they're going to be cool, it's with the shade from the tree. I grew up like that. I grew up in poverty. That's why when people talk about my prosperity, I, ain't, I don't care what you think about my prosperity because you didn't say nothing when I was in poverty. Now you want to do all this talking. And my mom was raising four of us by herself as a single parent. We had no central air. The only central air we had is raising that window and putting that fan in there. Okay, y'all know nothing about that. I guess I'm the only one that grew up in poverty with that fan in that window. But it got so hot in Indy in the summer that it was blowing hot air. I had to go out in the yard and sit up under that tree to do my work, my, 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 my reading out there. But I noticed this about shade trees. They're only effective when you're close to the tree. 
You can't distance yourself from what is bringing the shade and think you're not going to get burned. We have distanced ourselves from God, from Christ and the church and the kingdom, wondering why we getting burned. You got to stay close to what's giving you the shade. But he doesn't just take care of you in the daytime. He takes care of you in the night. So the moon won't smite you, King James. The moon won't smite you by night. That the moon won't hurt you by night. The moon hurting you? How do you get hurt by the moon? We got to look at it from the perspective of Hezekiah who's writing it. He's writing in a time there were no chandeliers. There were no light bulbs and fluorescent lights. And he couldn't go grab his cell phone and turn the flashlight on. When it got dark, it got dark. He's trying to get you and I to see. No matter how dark it gets in your life, that God is going to keep you from being hurt. That's when the robbers would come out. That's when the thieves would come out. They got an advantage in the dark, in the night. But he's saying, I'm going to make it so that the moon will not hurt you by night. The moon hurting you? How does God guard and protect us from the moon? Y'all, the Latin word for moon is luna. That's the Latin word for moon, luna. That's where we get our English word, lunatic. Hezekiah said, Jeffrey Johnson, all that hell you've been going through, all that stuff you're facing in your community, all that mess that's going on in the world, God is going to make it so that you don't become a lunatic. Because to tell you the truth, the stuff I've been through, I should have lost my mind by now. And I know I ain't by myself. Some of y'all would have been a lunatic, except God has kept your mind. Wait, wait, maybe it's not just to protect us from being lunatics with this moon, this luna. Maybe it's to protect us from lunatics. There's a lot of lunatics out there. And the lunatics come out at night. My, my friend was telling me, my friend said, man, Houdini said the freaks come out at night. And the reason why he was telling me that, because I thought it was Rick James. He said, no, Rick James is a super freak. Houdini said, the freaks come out at night. And y'all know the freaks come out at night. The lunatics come out at night. People who are nuts come out. Do I have a witness in here? But God said, I'm going to protect you so that you won't be hurt in the dark. He's watching over us. Let me give you one more and I'll shut it down. And that's in verse 7. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. God will watch over, King James Version says, he'll preserve your soul. And he'll preserve you in your uh, coming in and going out. That's because God has a way of preserving you until he pulls you out. That that yes, the world is messed up. Yes, we got mass shootings. Yes, all the things I've already mentioned. And God says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to preserve your soul until I pull you out. You need your soul saved. You need to be a Christian. You, you, when I was a child in, in church, they used to sing, it is well, it is well with my soul. Now, it is hell in my world. It's hell on the outside. But it's well with my soul. You need your soul saved. You need to become a Christian. You need to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. That's why he died on the cross. That's why God raised him from the dead. And when you put your faith in him, you get saved. I, it's been a few years ago, but one of the members of our church, she called 
and she just wanted to inform me that she, it was on a Wednesday, she said she was getting ready to go into surgery on Friday. And then she quickly started talking about, Pastor, I just love you, and I love Lady Sharon. I love your family, your children, and, and I love what our church is. She was going through all of that. Then I changed the subject. I said, what, is, what are the doctors saying about Friday? She said, I got to have surgery on Friday. She said, I would have already had it, but I have a low blood count. And they said, since the blood is not right, they can't do it. We're going to hopefully get it together by Friday. And she said, Pastor, you know I've been, I've been dealing with this for years. But, Pastor, this time they, they gave me a specialist. And she said, it's not just a specialist in Indianapolis. It's a specialist around the world. He goes all around the world to do this kind of surgery. He's supposed to be the best in the world at this kind of surgery. And he's going to operate on me on Friday. And then she kept talking. She said, and, Pastor, he, he told me that, once he gets inside, the first thing he has to do is undo what the other doctors did all these years. He got to undo that first. Then he has, to, he has to clean it up. He said, I can't correct it until I clean it. Can't make it right till I clean it up. And then, Pastor, the doctor asked me a question. He asked me, how do I feel about dying? This is the doctor that's going to do the surgery. Asked her, how do you feel about dying? that if the surgery doesn't work, how do you feel about dying? She said, Pastor, I told him I'm a Christian. I've given my life to Jesus Christ, and I fasted and I prayed about this surgery, and I believe I'm going to be healed. She said, but even if I, if I don't make, even if I die, I'm a Christian. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I'm going home to be with the Lord. Here's what the doctor told her. Then I don't mind performing surgery on you because you know it's out of my hands. <laughs> it's in the hand of the Lord. Y'all, you need your soul saved, but you can't get your soul saved until you got the blood of Jesus. And the blood of Jesus is what covers us and gets our soul saved. And then His Holy Spirit will move inside of you and undo what everybody else been doing. Undo all those lies and undo that false prophecy and undo those myths and undo those crazy philosophies you've been listening. Is there anybody that know the Holy Ghost will undo what other folk did to you? And then God says, I got to, he is the great physician. I got to clean you up before I correct it. I got to clean it up before I make it right. But if you confess your sin, God is faithful and just. He'll forgive you of your sin and then cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Do I have a witness in this place? Now, let me say this. I want to ask you the same question that that doctor asked her. How do you feel about dying? If you were to die right now, are you convinced that you're saved? Is there a point in your life, is there a moment in your life that you, you know that you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead? And if you don't know that for sure, you got to get that right before you die. Now, once you die, you're going to be cool because God got you covered. God is watching. But you need... You need to be saved because God preserves your soul until he brings you out. Verse 7 says that he will preserve you, watch over you, protect you, bless you in your coming in and your coming out. He says God's going to bless you when you go in, but he's going to bless you when you come out. 
Y'all, if y'all don't get anything else, I say you got to get this. He blesses you when you're in it, when you're surrounded with trouble on every side. But he doesn't just bless you while you're in it. He blesses you when you come out of it. Y'all, that's a prophecy that you're going to come out of it. You're not going to always be in that. I serve a God that will jump into action and show up where you are and pull you out of what you're going through. Here it is, and I'm done. Here it is. I'll close with this story, and I'm finished. In 1978, 1978, some Vietnamese, they were leaving their nation because of all the unrest in 1978 and all the mess that was going on over there. And they thought if they could just get to America, get to the U.S., life would be better for them. So it's 51 of them. It's, it's 33 adults, 18 children. They get in this boat, and they're heading across the waters to come over to the U.S., but they end up getting lost in the, in the South China Sea. And when they got lost, they ran out of food, and then they ran out of fuel. So now they're just wandering. They have no direction. They're just drifting. They've run out of fuel. They've run out of food. And they would report later that people were looking at them in boats, that, ships that would pass, and just kept on going. But this one container ship ended up stopping to help them out. And when they stopped to help them out, George Peterson was the chief mate. And the men on the container ship were saying, let's just give them some food and water. And then we're going to take off. Maybe somebody else can help them. Because they were saying, we can't get them on this container ship because there's too many of them. If we get 51 more people on our ship, we may not survive. But the chief mate, he was in control. He was in charge. He said, no, we're not leaving these people out here. These are human beings. He said, we're going to take all of them and put them on our container ship. And we'll just deal with the consequences when we got to deal with the consequences. But we're not leaving them out there. And then he would he climbed down and start pulling people, those children up, and putting them on, on his ship. Well, fast forward 44 years later, they just had a reunion. And they wanted the people that got saved, they wanted to thank uh, this George Peterson. He's in his 80s now. And they wanted to thank him for saving us and rescuing us. So they got together. And, and some of them are like lawyers and social workers. Some of them ended up in careers that helped to rescue other folk. They said, because you rescued us, we didn't want to waste what you did with us, but we also wanted to help rescue somebody else. And they, they interviewed these two brothers who were, who were four and nine when they were on that, that, that boat trying to come over. And one of them said, I was so young. He said, I don't remember everything, but I do remember this, that when we ran out of fuel and we ran out of food and other boats were passing us by, I do remember this, this ship stopped and this big old man came down and he picked up me and my brother and he carried us back up and put us in that ship. Y'all, here's what I'm trying to tell you. If, if George Peterson will do that for complete strangers, he don't even know them. He never met them. But he would go down to where they are, pick them up, carry them so that they can get to safety. Don't you think our Heavenly Father in your situation will come down to where you are and pick you up and carry you to where you need to be? Don't you believe that God will make it all right? And since some of y'all didn't say amen, I'll testify myself. Tragedies are commonplace. All kind of diseases, people are slipping away. Muggers and robbers, no place seems to be safe. But he's been my protection, 
every step of the way. So I want to say thank you, Lord, for all you've done for me. It could have been me outdoors with no food and no clothes, all alone without a friend or just another number with a tragic end. But he didn't see fit to let none of these things be. Every day, by his power, he keeps on keeping me. I got to say, thank you, Lord. Is there anybody here that can lean your head back and say, thank you, Lord, for all you've done for me? Thank you for your power. Thank you for your love. Thank you for protection. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for healing me. Thank you for keeping me. Somebody say, thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.